servants. He's got something he really wants to talk to us about, and I think maybe Christ is allowing him to know that so that we can know that. So listen up, because I think we have things to learn. Seventh group already did. So it's the motion doing to me that about the Sabbath group, did I not excuse you? Okay. For the split sermon today, Mr. Reg Nolan. Okay. <coughs> Last year. Um, on April, oh, sorry, August the 21st to be specific, uh, Art Williams gave a most insightful message entitled Learning to Grow into a New Creation, during, which, during part of which he distinguished between the three positive other-oriented emotions, sympathy, empathy, and compassion. He defined sympathy as the understanding of what another is feeling, but from one's own perspective, hence it's primarily oh. sorry about that. There we go. Okay. Huh? There we go. All right. So it's uh, the uh, sympathy is primarily then a mental activity. Empathy goes one step further than that. And uh, for if one has empathy for another, then he attempts to place himself in the other's shoes, not just understanding why he ex experiences a feeling, but also to feel that emotion with the other potion, person. Uh, hence. This is both an emotional and experiential activity, not just a cerebral one. Compassion transmutes the uh, mental and emotional experiences of sympathy and empathy into action. That is to say, the willingness and attempt to uh, relieve the pain and suffering of the other, which requires the cooperative participation of the one being helped, uh, his willingness to accept the help offered. Today, I wish to address the second member of this trio, and that is empathy. Now, I have a, another message later called compa uh, Compassion Fatigue that I'll deliver at a later time. The people who have a natural, deep empathy are called empaths. May, may not be a term you're all that familiar with. They are a rare and marvelous asset for any congregation, but their gift is, uh, has a high price for themselves. I first heard the word empath uh, about 55 years ago in an episode of Star Trek uh, where they in, in, uh, a young female named Jim with a nervous system so sensitive that she could absorb and heal the injuries, pain, and disease of others. Ultimately, she became the savior of her planet. However, empaths are not just some fictional construct of the sci-fi universe. Rather, empaths are quite real. They are real, but perhaps maybe not as developed as Jim was. Empaths are far more common among women than among men because women are more comfortable with feelings um, 
and emotions, while most men will stamp out any emotion that happens to pop up. Uh, you know, powerful. Uh, anyway, uh, any trace of feeding the... Sorry. However, male empaths are not unheard of, although they are uh, quite rare. Uh, Jesus was definitely an empath. So I suspect were also King David, Moses, Jeremiah, several of the Levitical priests. Indeed, empathy may be a natural characteristic of the house of Levi, although not all Levites have compassion, have empathy, since Moses, Aaron, Jeremiah were all Levites. But empathy is not limited to Levi, since David, Isaiah, uh, Jesus, or all of Judah. Today I'd like to explain what it's like to be an empath, the blessings and risks that occur from having an empath around, and the toll that it takes upon the empath. Okay, that's my idea. I want to explain to you what an empath is, or anything else. And think about this as I go through here, if there are any people you know who might be empaths. Okay. All right. What's it like to be an empath? Empaths feel the emotions of those around them as if they were their own. The level of empathy is not a voluntary activity. That's important to realize. It is not voluntary. It's something they can't help. It, uh, but it can be developed to greater intensity over one lifetime if you desire to do so. It is more than being merely an emotional sponge. Empaths feel the emotion with the other person. In the presence of very strong emotion, they can become overwhelmed with joy or with sorrow or with fear and may burst into tears at any reason, for no apparent reason. Moses, David, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Jesus, all wept bitterly for the nation of Israel. Again, this is not a voluntary ability, but one that happens whether the empath wants it or not. Empathic abilities often coexist with healing abilities as they did with the Jim character. Recall, if you will, from Scripture, the uh, many who were healed in faith just by touching the hem of Jesus' garment. This is Matthew 14, verses 35 and 36. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent out, out into all that surrounding region and brought, him, uh, brought to him all who were sick. He begged and begged him that they might only touch the hem of his garment, as, as, and as many as touched it were made perfectly well. Then in Mark 6, uh, 56, um, we find this reference. Uh, Wherever he entered to, into villages, cities, or the country, they laid the sick in the marketplace and begged him that they might just touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched him were made well. Granted, now Jesus, as the Son of God, was a full empath, capable of bearing our afflictions and sins. For it is Jesus, as pictured in the second goat of the atonement ceremony, who is our sin bearer, not Satan. That's a very important idea to understand. Jesus is the second goat of the, of the atonement ceremony in his second role as sin bearer. Not just as sacrifice, but as sin bearer. Who is our sin bearer, and he will carry our sins far away. Let's read the, the passages that support that. Uh, Leviticus 16, 22. 
The goat shall bear upon itself all of their iniquities into the uninhabited land, and he shall release the goat into the wilderness. Hebrews 9.28 So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time, apart from sin, for salvation. And most importantly, uh, well, uh, most directly, 1 Peter 2, verses 21 to 24. For to this you are called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that, who, that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was revile, reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he committed himself to him who judges righteously, who bore who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sin, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes we are healed. Now, only Christ, as the ultimate enclave, could have borne our sins. Not, again, Satan. Satan really doesn't care whether we have our sins on us or not. Um, but it is Christ who took them far away. But bearing another's sins, afflictions, and emotions, drains the impact of energy, for this is an energy transfer that we're talking about here, and often leaves the impact exhausted and more than a bit depleted of energy in order to adjust the, uh, the biofuel energies of the other. Even Jesus felt the power, that is to say the energy, go out of him when the woman with the blood issue, uh, who was therefore um, uh, ritually unclean, just touched the hem of his garment. Let's read about that account. This is in Mark 5, verses 25 to 34. Mark 5, 25 to 34. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years. So this was a chronic condition, not just something uh, that's a one-time event. And had suffered many things from many physicians, I'll bet she did. Uh, she had spent all that she had and was no bet better, but uh, rather grew worse. Uh, There's the old story about the dentist. Uh, what, uh, asked what's wrong. The patient asked what's wrong. And he said, I don't know yet. Let me see your wallet. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I may only touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately, the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? What happened? He felt the energy go out of him at that time. Because, as I said, being the empath is an energy medicine transfer that happens here. And... He felt the energy go out of him. Uh, who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, You see this multitude thronging you, and you say, Who touched me? How could they answer such a thing as that? And he looked around to, to see her who had done the thing, but the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And he healed, uh, healed of, and be healed of your affliction. 
Now, this healing ability that we're talking about here often coexists with these em empathic abilities that we're talking about, the ability to feel the emotions of others. It involves an energy transfer for the empath to heal the bio or reinvigorate the other. This is energy medicine. It is used to align the um, confused energies of the other to what it should be in a healthy state. It taxes the spirit of the empath. Empaths often feel exhausted or drained after an encounter with a particularly troubled soul, and they need to sleep for hours. You know anyone who may need to sleep with hour, uh, for hours, especially after being in contact with people who are troubled? And in order to let themselves heal, they are, if you will, soul tired. Consequently, many empaths do not exercise their gifts because of the draining after effects, the toll that it places upon them. These are the same people who cannot bear to watch the promos and infomercials about starving children or refugees from the war-torn lands or persons afflicted with debilitating degrees or even abused pets or endangered animals without experiencing what I call compassion fatigue, that desire to do something but being unable to do so. And we, were at, we are inundated with commercials that tug at our emotions, and they know exactly what buttons to push to make us hurt, don't they? Okay. Uh, they literally agonize over the coverage of Putin's uh, war in the Ukraine. They grow ill at the senseless shooting of young children in school as the USA hosts the best equipped mass murderers in the world, arming them with the AR-15s and other assault war rifles that designed as weapons of war, not for domestic use. Indeed, any hunter, any hunter who would require a 30-clip uh, magazine in order to take down a deer is not really a very good marksman. Uh, over uh, other empaths, over time, have learned to erect emotional barrier, barriers, great ramparts of psychological uh, protection to shield themselves against the intrusion of others' uh, trouble. Still others who can't erect the uh, shields that are strong enough to keep out the intense feelings of others, again, this is not voluntary, um, will avoid the problem and alienate themselves from social interaction, eventually becoming a hermit or a recluse. These are full introverts. All of these defensive measures are acts of self-preservation. Acts of self-preservation. Not so much because they are misanthropes and uh, um, who hate hum humanity, but simply because it's too painful for them to be around people who are hurting. Empaths have to deal with not only their own emotions and baggage, but also cope with the uh, barrage of feelings from the other person. Empaths not only absorb the pain and emotions from others, but they feel them as if they were their own. And that is just too much intensity for most people to endure. For example, here's one I'll relate to. This is a television commercial. For example, there's a TV commercial that features children in swimming attire running down a pier, about to jump into the lake for a swim. But the camera doesn't focus on the children. It focuses on some rusty nails that are sticking up out of the deck. 
I can't watch that commercial. I have to turn away every time I see it because I can feel the pain of what would happen if those children were to step on those rusty nails. See what I'm saying? saying that they, they manipulate us. For empaths, it really all boils down to an issue, uh, to trust issues. Whether from trauma or betrayal, empaths do not trust anyone. Empaths do not trust anyone. Which is ironic because they're some of the most trustworthy people in the planet. Empaths know what it's like to be open and to be vulnerable to someone. Because they're often the, the ones peeking inside and probing. Um, anyway. Um, due to their insatiable curiosity about others, they are hesitant, resistant to letting down their guard long enough to let anyone else uh, in or, or be at risk of being exposed. The difference is that an empath does not rat out his friends or his clients, but will keep that secret to his grave, while the less scrupulous would uh, give up the brother at the drop of a hat. Many would call... Uh, many would call that attitude paranoia, but empaths call it caution. Caution, born out of experience. Also, ironically, what the empath craves more than anything is a deep, profound connection with another, but it almost always remains elusive. Elusive, it evades them. While the empath is easily able to connect with the other, indeed even absorbing the other sometimes, he, she is unwilling, unable to reveal or share himself with the others. It really stems from the lack of security, a lack of trust in the other, coupled with a poor self-concept that seals this in, the empath in his bubble. These qualities, the lack of trust, insecurity, and poor self-concept are all learned at a very early a very young age, but remains, what remains then with him is the distilled residual of those lessons, it's, and it becomes integrated into the character. Living with an empath. Provided that they have learned to protect themselves, empaths make great mothers, wives, nurses, counselors, therapists, physicians, teachers, healers, spiritual leaders, etc. I'll use feminine references here because most empaths are, are women or female, they, uh, for they know intuitively what is wrong and can skip the interrogative portion of the interview and get right to addressing the problem. However, one has, one has to be completely honest with an empath. You cannot lie to them. You cannot lie to them. They will know that you are lying before you even ever say a word. Children, Forget about trying to pull a fast one on mom. Husbands, you will have to remain completely faithful for empathic wives will sense even the slightest intimation of an affair, even if it never becomes physical. The companions of an empath are an open book to her, and she can read them like yesterday's newspaper. Don't even try to keep a secret. Of course, that does spoil the fun of a surprise party um, or a special event. You can't really truly surprise a true empath. But for the sake of the other's feelings, she won't let on that she already knows. She won't let on that she already knows. She can anticipate the needs and the desires of those she loves and be ready to with a fix when the time comes, even before they know they need it. That's an empath. Uh, 
She is very expressive and can often give voice to what others are feeling but unable to express themselves. So she can be a great sounding board for ideas and anxieties and have, that have not, been, have not been vocalized or be a great writer able to verbalize uh, what others cannot. However, living with an empath is tough on the loved ones because she may experience severe bouts of moodiness resembling depression and have nothing to do with what she's really feeling. Rather, she may be reflecting on the emotional state of someone or something in the environment, even a picture, a movie, a book, a song. But her loved ones won't know that. She may seem somewhat listless and may need to sleep more than seems necessary to replenish the energy expended while dealing with the emotions of others. She responds strongly to any vibration near her, so loved ones need to keep unnecessary noise to a minimum. Tranquility and silence are truly golden to her. But she also takes delight in the expressiveness of music. Despite the love of silence, she responds positive to thunderstorms. That's an interesting thing. The love of silence, but likes thunderstorms because they have a cleansing effect upon um, the environment around her. Uh, she, may, um, she may stare off into the distance or stare at a wall for hours in an almost trance-like state while her nonverbal mind is analyzing, sorting out the mass of emotions within her. She may find a stroll barefoot through the wet grass, particularly grounding. What matters to her, what matters to her is to make an unobstructed connection so that the two actually merge into one. Unfortunately, such a connection uh, often remains elusive. The six. So how do you deal with an empath in one of her dark moods? That's tricky. Empaths absorb and reflect the genuine emotions of those that surround them. So the obvious solution is to surround them with positive emotions, right? All right? The key there is the word genuine. For empaths are hypersensitive to emotional fraud. They can detect the fake celebration in a nanoblink. In fact, a fake celebration or manipulated goodwill may be quite insulting to them and then drive them even deeper into the mood. In truth, fixing an empath, something only a guy would use, a term only a guy would use, he can't fix emotions, is probably beyond human ability. Fortunately, empaths are resilient, particularly the heart, which can be broken many times and still persists with hope. However, there's always that lingering fear that the heartbreak, the next heartbreak, might be fatal. A fear that is paralyzing and comes out with, comes out as, I can't let myself be hurt again. I can't let myself be hurt again. So where can the empath go for comfort? In the short term, a strong empath will simply turn inward in isolation to calm the turbulent waters and let the negativity precipitate out. Some empaths may be fortunate enough to have access to another stronger empath who is capable of dispelling the negativity into the ether for her. However, she will probably not do so for feeling that 
asking the other person to help out is imposing upon the other person. Rather, ultimately, to heal the empath, we must rely on God, the supreme empath, who, as Psalm 147.3 tells us, heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Isaiah, himself an empath of the tribe of Judah through Tamar, which is an interesting story we'll get into sometime, um, knew it. Here's his account. Isaiah 61, verses 1 to 3. The Spirit of the God is upon me, because the Lord has appointed me to preach the good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to all who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Notice all the words that we use there. Those are empath words. Those are all empath words. Comfort, mourn, um, vengeance, good tidings. He, he's the one who can heal the brokenhearted. Despite their personal trials, though, having empaths in the congregation is a great asset. We probably have several in our congregation. I don't know if you're aware of that or not, but we do. The empaths are some of the best and most moral persons that anyone could ask for. Further, they may have the gift of healing. An empath's words and touch can be comforting. Their hugs can absorb and dispel despair. You can unload your trials on them without fear that those trials will become gossip. Empaths are natural counselors with two ears, no waiting, to hear your problems. Just don't expect them to stay around long afterwards, for they will need to go off and hibernate for a while to recuperate. Be careful, though, with whom you uh, surrender your feelings. For unfortunately, the skills of an empath can be mimicked and exploited for uh, personal gain by those who are not true empaths because a true empath couldn't stand to cause pain for another person. So it is incumbent upon us to exercise caution and discernment to distinguish between the real empaths and the frauds and the con artists. Imagine how dangerous it could be if someone had a wicked heart but possessed the ability to read another's feelings at a glance and to manipulate the other for his own nefarious purposes. Such a person would be truly evil, narcissistic, self-centered, self-serving, without concern for the welfare of anyone else. Okay, as I said at the beginning, what I've tried to do today is to introduce you to this special kind of person and her gift who probably wouldn't stand up for herself uh, to defend herself. Think about the people that you know. Could any of them be empaths? Could you? <laughs>